Hey, 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 y'all, just real quick before we play this episode. But if you're considering applying for the 2025, oh my gosh, 2025 cohort of Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program for professionals who support and work with parents, I want you to head over to robingobel.com slash being with right now and get your name on the waiting list. We're going to do applications and registration a little differently this year because of the already overwhelming interest in the 2025 cohort. So we're going to open applications up first only to folks on the waiting list. That means in order to be one of our early applicants, we need you to sign up on that waiting list before June 25th. RobinGobel.com slash being with, and I'll get that link down in the show notes as well. Alrighty, here's the episode. Y'all, I am just so excited to share this conversation I had with Marshall Lyles with you. Talking to Marshall nurtures my soul, and I'm hoping that you get to have the same experience by listening. In fact, at times, you'll have to tolerate just listening to Marshall and I gush about how much we miss each other. I chose to leave those parts in the episode and not edit them out because I think our mutual delight and adoration in one another is an experience that could bring some goodness to you as well. I'm Robin Goebel, and welcome to the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast 29 episodes ago to get free accessible support to you as fast as possible. So this podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. Sometimes you'll hear a cock doodle do in the background. If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share it with your friends and colleagues. Be sure to head over to robingobel.com to discover all the free resources I have for you. In fact, if you're listening to this episode before May 10 or 11, you'll want to head over to robingobel.com slash what behaviors are. There, you can sign up for a free live masterclass I'll be offering both on May 10th and May 11th. If you're hearing this episode after May 10 or 11, still head over to my my website. You'll be able to find a recording of this masterclass at robingobel.com slash masterclass. So podcast friends, here we are at episode 29, in which I share with you moments of connection inside one of my absolute closest relationships. In fact, Marshall and I are such good friends that I didn't even welcome him or say hello as I dove into recording this podcast with him. We just started talking. So let's welcome him together now. I am so delighted to introduce you to, or maybe you're lucky enough to already know him, Marshall Lyles. I anticipate that Marshall will be a recurring guest on the podcast because I consider him to be one of my closest and dearest friends, as well as colleagues. Marshall is truly, outside my husband and child, one of my absolute most favorite people on the planet. 
He's a masterful therapist and a talented and compassionate consultant for therapists. He's also the owner and creator of The Workshop, a colorful and connected space that's an art creation space, a community studio for mental health professionals, and an event hosting space in Austin, Texas. Welcome, Marshall. Okay, Marshall, before I hit record, you said something and I wrote it down and I'm going to reflect it back to you. And that's how we're diving into this. Sound good? I'm ready. All right. You said, I've, and I think I got it right. I didn't read it back to you then because I didn't, I wanted us to have this moment. So maybe I got it wrong and you can just say, uh, no, that's not what I said at all. But what I wrote was that you had said that you found that you can't think about your kids and like the minds of your kids without thinking about a couple of very specific things. Does that sound right? You think that's that what you said? Right. Okay. Yeah. So I want to know what those couple of specific things are. Let's just start there. I think what, what's been coming up a lot is I have to be able to have an awareness uh, of that. They're looking for themselves in me. That in order to think about them, um, I have to realize that when they look at me, they're not just looking at me. They're looking for who they are in me. Yes. And and that, that just unfolds in me in ways that are sometimes so lovely and other times so overwhelming. So I've been trying to make meaning of that, um, what are the implications that who they are deciding they are is not spontaneous. It's, it's largely encased in my moment to moment view of who they are. So there there's that. And then the other thing I've been thinking a lot about in parenting is my capacity to think about my kids and, and how they're growing and, and what they're growing into is really um, dependent on my capacity to think about where I've come from, that, that I can't just spontaneously decide that I'm just going to gift that to the next generation without honoring all the generations ahead of me in some way. Right. And, and so there's some sandwich of that where I, I don't want to over inflate my importance, but I also realize I've spent a lot of time ignoring my role and all of that. Um, so it, it's, it's been with me. It's been what I've been thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with the first one. Um, you and I've, it's, it's interesting to be like, gosh, we've been talking about this for years and years and years and years and watching like these same themes stick around yet our connection to those themes and our, um, the way those themes like roll over us, keep evolving. And so this at times overwhelming truth, overwhelming meaning like, holy smokes, like overwhelming (laughs) for me, at least as a, as a parent and as a therapist, because it comes up in the therapy room, of course, too, is that these little people our kids are none of us neither of us have little children but these children are coming to know like who they are deciding who they are 
partially, largely, I don't know what the <laughs> what the ratio is of how we see them. Yeah. Right. Do you, do you know if I if I get real honest, it's sometimes easier for me to remember that that's true with dogs than mm. it is with humans. Like I am true. so aware when I'm with my dog yes. that each moment, what she's deciding is okay. And what she's deciding to do next is always influenced by me. Right. And I'm at peace with that, but there's something about that also being true about humans that I want to disprove as often as possible and I'm looking to try and actively subvert it. <laughs> like, like we're not, we're that important to our dogs, but not to our kids. It does. The stakes are a lot lower with our dogs for sure. Right. Like my dog's not going to become independent and move out into the world. And <laughs> at least for me, that's what first comes up for me. But I also immediately went to, you know, knowing your dog and you not really knowing ours, but we absolutely have this dog who has changed and grown over the years we've had her and become the way as my husband is her primary person, you know, the way he sees her is who she has like grown in to be, um, yeah. which is lovely and, and wonderful and, and happy and playful. And she wasn't always like that. So that's a great analogy. You're right. Hey, y'all, I'm interrupting the show super briefly. I want to make sure you've heard about the Families Rising Conference. Families Rising was, is formerly NACAC. So maybe you've been to the NACAC conference. You don't know that they're now Families Rising. So Families Rising is the formerly NACAC conference. It is one of my absolute most favorite conferences because of the super amazing people who attend. Everyone has this like shared mission for helping our most vulnerable kids and improving child welfare practices, listening to the voices of those with the lived experience. And I'm so, 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 so honored to be keynoting this year's conference. This conference is offered virtually every other year, which increases accessibility and people's ability to attend, especially affordably. And it is this year that it's virtual. So you can attend this conference from anywhere. Head to robingobel.com slash families rising to get all the details and send me a message if you're planning to attend. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, I... I, I've got to, at some point too, like really dive into at what point did I become uncomfortable with seeing myself as important to other people? You know, that, that, that I, I really don't want my parenting ability to be related to that, mm-hmm. but it is, I can't, I can't get around that. The, the the dependent nature of our relationships with each other. And so I've really been trying to figure out how to write about that, how uh-huh. to think about it, how to teach about it, but more, you know, how to be at peace within, with, within my own spirit. Do you think, okay, we are really going off the rails already. And we just started. So maybe that's not a good sign, but 
Do you think that that has anything to do with about the time period that we become a, a little bit more inhibited in general? Like, I think, okay, let me, I'll, let me say this best through story. I have a very clear memory of, of going with a friend to spontaneously because of how the circumstances were evolving that day to her almost, I think almost four-year-old daughter's gymnastics, like showcase and this enormous gymnastics gym full of, you know, not quite four-year-olds and they're like little leotards running around and doing the balance beam and doing all the gymnastics things in the way that, you know, almost four-year-olds are doing and love. They were just so in love with themselves. Right. And so we sat in these chairs watching these little kids just be totally smitten with themselves (laughs) and like who they were in the world in that exact moment and what their bodies could do. And I, there was something about it that struck me so tremendously. Like, when do we lose that? When does that, like, I'm here in all my amazingness, glory start to dull a little in just typical child development. And that scene came up for me as you were kind of saying, you know, when did, when did we become uncomfortable? (laughs) with acknowledging how important we are to other people. For some reason, I just wonder if there's any relation. I mean, I think there has to be it. Mm -hmm. You know, on the one hand, you know, I think the generations above us and what has been prepared for us to step into is probably relevant. And then, you know, things in our individual um, caregiving, receiving care, all we are, I mean, we, we all know that at this yes. point, but what you're talking about that really resonates for me is about that age when we learn to start comparing ourselves to others yes. and, and feeling like we're being ranked in all of these areas. Yes. That you, you start deciding um, that your level of importance is dependent on where you rank in something. And some people seem to like maybe never get pulled into that and maybe a small fraction, but others have these like vacillating extremes of, well, I'm always ranked high and therefore I I relate to people that way, or I'm going to go ahead and default to assuming I'm ranked low and relate to people that way. But it, you know, it's, it's all the things that I hear in therapy being doing expressive arts of of people saying, well, I used, I used to love to draw, I used to love to write poetry. I used to love, and I think that's probably what you're talking about is, and some of those moments, and I used to delight in the mutuality of importance. Yes, (laughs) yes. I used to delight in the mutuality of importance. (laughs) I used to delight in just being like completely fully me in the world and being okay with what like happened next because of that. Or something. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I impact you. You impact me. And yes. we, like, we're like, that was intuitive at some place. Yeah. You know, and then we started fighting, fighting against it. You know, it, uh, it's, I, I, it also it, emotionally, when I think about it, it's not just overwhelming. Like, I, I think there's a part of me that finds that, um, how do I, how do I say this part? Like, this is where we get 
into risky territory. <laughs> I, I think that there's part of me that is rooted in, in some of the ways I was raised that, that thinks, oh, that's grandiose. Yes. You know, that, that that's yes. um, self-centered. And I am so afraid of being selfish. Like it, yes. it, it drives me to being selfish. Yes. You know, that it's this ridiculous self-fulfilling prophecy that, that I, you know, when I'm not aware of trying to interrupt it, I step into it. And so I'm so afraid of overinflating my importance in how um, my kids perceive me that I then actually take up too much space, you know, in their minds. And it's, it's, it's so complicated. And it's sometimes I wish I could just turn off thinking about it or turn off, have a pause in the reality yeah. of it all. Yes. We've talked about that before. Like, wouldn't it be nice if we could just stop all of this constant thinking all the time, red pill or blue pill. Sort exactly. Of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we've talked about the Simpsons episode, I think of the crayon. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. 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 (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so how, what, okay. So, so let's go back to the beginning. So becoming okay with acknowledging, embracing this place of being extremely important in our kids, it's it's our kids' lives, but it's not even just our kids, Right. right? From the therapist perspective, this happens in the therapy room, you know, that our, um, Actually, what a mentor said to me once is that our clients become like us. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. whew, let's see where that's good. And let's see where that is not good. Right. Yeah. You know, but that's true in our, our, you know, adult relationships too, that we become like the people that we spend the most time with and we become partially what's happening is we're becoming how we're reflected back, how we see ourselves being reflected, mm-hmm. you know, when we're with them. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's how much time are we spending um, in in making room for the mirror? Yes. You know, and how attentive are we to the mirror? And if there are little cracks coming in, being quickly responsive, like and it it's it's not it's not the indulgent part of um, working on myself to the place that I exclude seeing you. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's working on myself so that I am a capable source of reflection, you know, for you. Right. There's this, um, do, you know, duality that feels in tension with itself, but really isn't of, you know, if I think about it for my, in my son's circumstance, like he, he is who he is. He is him. And how he comes to know him is to see himself reflected primarily by myself and my husband, because we're his primary reflectors. So this tension between like, okay, he is who he is. And I haven't exactly created that, but yet in a way I have because of, the reflection I'm giving him and him seeing 
you know, seeing that reflection, but really what I'm saying, what I mean when I say seeing is experiencing that reflection, what that means for his neurobiology and what's happening there and coming to terms with the tension between those two truths. Yeah. And it's, I think that's the biggest argument for me against behaviorism Yeah, is if, even if we believe that someone is deserving of having behavioral attention and having a behavior shaped, modified, fill in the blank. If they're only experiencing us as seeing them as a collection of behaviors, what is that doing to their identity? Yeah. You know, who are they becoming as a result of those series of interactions there? You know, our kids are people and our kids are desperate for us to see that they have mental states that are informing their behaviors and, and our mirror has to be able to show back their behavior and show back that we see there was something driving it. Yes. And that, that and by the way, parents deserve that too. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love how like, so for everybody listening, Marshall says, by the way, and he like got real close. Like he was going to tell, tell us all a little secret. So like, <laughs> yes, by the way, everybody deserves that right? That changing how we see people is an intervention. You know, if we want to start, keep talking in, in language, like techniques and interventions or tools, um, and that's a whole nother discussion, you know, but that is something you and I just, I think help. Well, I'll say, I know you help me stay anchored to that truth that sometimes things are so out of control. We want a behavior technique that will stop it. And I get that. Like I get that viscerally in my own personal life. I get that in the office. I get that through resonating parents who resonating with parents who are so, you know, in terribly out of control situations in their homes and want a, you know, behavior intervention. And additionally, if we can stay anchored in our own truths and see kids, see people exactly the way you said, like, I do see your behavior and let's acknowledge that some of it's quite problematic and we've got to figure out a way to make it stop. (laughs) And I can also see that there's something that's underneath that. There's something that's driving it. There's some, there's an indication that something's not right because you're an amazing human full of infinite worth who wants to be in connection because you're human. Mm-hmm. So what's happening here? And that staying anchored in that, yeah, it might not have immediate behavior change, although it might, <laughs> but it is yeah. building like this tower, the way that is shaping the neurobiology. And ultimately like, people behave the way that we see them as humans. You know, it's just hard to monitor identity development. I mean, it's real hard. (laughs) Like it's, it's so much easier um, to, to see a moment, a momentary behavior Mm -hmm. than it is to try and then anchor that. And wait, what are all the clues about the last week, the last month, this whole season and, and realizing that there is some shaping identity underneath right. that that's slippery to hold onto. Yeah. We, 
we almost need some sort of superhuman um, projection power. Like, oh, right now, in this moment, if I were in a movie, um, there would be an interruption in the current dialogue with my kiddo and flashback sequences of the last 15 years would show up and aid my awareness that this has been a growing theme. And therefore I need to respond with this with all of the um, gravity and understanding. We don't have that. No, we don't often have that time. You know, these things are immediate. Right. And, and, and so we, we got to cultivate that outside of those dialogues, um, which means, you know, sometimes the dishes aren't getting done or, you know, you're not um, getting to work on time and all of these things start having other real world consequences that I, I feel real, like a passionate care for why it's not happening as prevalently as we all need and um, for, for our, our society to succeed. But at the same time, we got to find a way, we got to find a way to break some of these dynamics and, and parenting books are one of the things that I, I hope to see change that will help because there are a lot of parenting books that are coming out that I'm really loving how they're talking about understanding the complex inner world of the child and not treating kids yeah. as a simple, you know, behavioral um, exchange, but to really kind of think of this as a long-term moment and, and building in their capacity to be a better human um, However, they're talking to parents in a way that don't treat parents as the same kind of organisms. Right. You know, and yeah. there's, you start to feel that tension. And then I, so I have a lot of compassion for, for parents who are trying to step into that because I, I think they're not on the receiving end of benefiting from that, from others, including professionals. So yeah. Like my brain is about to just explode right now because you and I, despite how close we are, have not talked at all about this book that I've decided to, to write. And I haven't started writing the book yet, but I'm knee deep in writing the proposal. Um, and it's been more fun and more helpful than I expected. Like it felt a little bit like drudgery at first, like, oh, this is a step in this process I have to do. But I've actually loved writing the proposal and it's making me get really clear about what am I doing here and why? And it is basically what you just said <laughs> with the basically the same reason, right? Like, yes, I'm glad all of these books are shifting and we're getting a lot of good stuff out of books lately, but there is still this enormous missing piece. And I decided that that could get tackled in a book. I mean, I think at first I was like, we can't, I, that's not, that can't get conveyed through writing. And what I feel like I've learned through doing more writing in the pandemic with my blog and with my emails and what people are telling, they're responding to me with has made me go, oh, wait, this can be done in written form. So let's do it. Ah, now I can't wait to tell, send you the proposal that I'm working on. <laughs> and I... I'm going to say this sincerely in a way that's going to make you squirmy. Okay. Thanks for Robin, the prep. <laughs> you're the ideal person to write that book. Oh, thank you. That, that's really exciting. Thank you. Ah, that was, I'm glad you gave me some prep so that I could say squirmy, step aside, just <laughs> receive it. 
I'm going to try. I'm going to try and I'm going to hope it gets out there. Um, it's hard to know what's going to, what will happen, but that's what I'm trying. So uh, I will read it. And also I look forward to the meme you're going to produce that says squirmy step aside. Oh, and- I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order, and I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. robingobel.com slash start here. Hmm, I started imagining the image that will go behind it. That's where I went, which is, that's fascinating to even say out loud that my brain first went to image. If we were together, we would high five. <laughs> that makes me, that, that makes me as excited as the book. <laughs> Man, it's been a long time since we've been together. It has been. It's terrible. It is. It is. It, it's been one of the odd things, too, about um, the, the season of, in some ways, there's it feels like endless more time has been created, you know, with all the things we can't do. Yeah. Uh, yet, I've connected with people, Wes, and it has been, it's been another one of those paradoxes in the in line of this, you know, mm-hmm. I got to be able to think about that part of me, you know, like, What's underlying that behavioral state? (laughs) That is on a very practical perspective. Both of us have had time because of the pandemic to pursue projects that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise had time to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that's been true for me and you. Absolutely. And probably another thing we have in common is when we get into a project, it becomes all consuming. Yes. Yes. Both of us smiling as we say that. <laughs> so clearly we like that part of projects. <laughs> I, okay, so let's move on to your second part that you said <laughs> as you flinch and maybe have decided you don't want to talk about that part after all. <laughs> no. I, I do, actually. <laughs> I had, I had told you earlier the the only thing I really had done um had, I have you know I so trust in our dialogue that I prepare nothing I'm like yes. oh and I feel like conversation can take the two of us anywhere but I did I did find a poem I wanted to read and that I think probably previews that second part okay are you into it I am so into it I am more into it than I ever have been you and poems you know how 
you know how I root myself, but <laughs> this is where I found fine ground. Um, so this is a poem by Rainer Maria Rilke, and it's called A Walk, and it's really short. Um, my eyes already touch the sunny hill, going far ahead of the road I have begun. We are grasped by what we cannot grasp. It has its inner light even from a distance and changes us, even if we do not reach it, into something else, which hardly sensing it, we already are. A gesture waves us on, answering our own wave. But what we feel is the wind in our faces. Mm. I've reread this one probably 50 times Mm -hmm. in the last couple of weeks. And there's something about even poets that, you know, wrote a hundred years ago and longer. I mean, going back centuries, they seemed to have this awareness and holding sacred that how fluid time is that what was and what will be is all held in here mm-hmm. and now. Yeah. And, and so when I read this and I think that we're on this path and up ahead, we see, um, you know, the sun hitting this hill and whether or not we get there, that is now in us. Right. You know, that is, we are now in relationship with the direction we're pointed. But when I read this poem, I pictured real key, like if, if this were a literal path, um, turning around and then looking and saying the same thing to what, where he had been, yeah. you know, the, you also have influenced me, but here, here's where I stand. And this is, you know, this, every point we are on a path is exactly where past meets future. Like it, it is 100% always the reality because we, we can't bend time. Mm-hmm. So if, I can't focus on the future of my kids, like by being present with them right now, without acknowledging that I have to look at my own past and how that relates to my capacity to be here in the now. And I really, really, really would rather focus on present and future. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that... That means DNA and, you know, genealogy, and it means cultures we're embedded in. And it, um, it means, you know, beliefs about gender we were raised with, or it it means about what happened to a great, great grandmother who I never knew and will never hear the story of, but is alive in me and, and what happened in my own growing up. Yes. Yes. That my ability to think reflectively about that is 100% exactly going to show up in my ability to think reflectively about my kids and what I hope they find. So if I, if I don't have a mirror for me to look into that accurately reflects back, you know, the truth of who I am in totality, how am I ever going to be that mirror for them? Yeah. Do you, you have something coming up for you? I have something coming up for me that would be 
like, let's put this into real life. Give us an example. That's respectful of your kids. You know, mm-hmm. um, we didn't prep for this. So does anything come to mind quickly? Yeah. I'm, yeah. One of, one of my kids, but you know, of course, you know, the obvious, yeah. both of my kids are young adults. Yes. Yeah. And one of them had had a really rough medical year. Yes. A lot of pain, um, some hospitalization, um, lots of follow-up doctor care. And that's never been true for anyone in my family other than me. Uh, and so me showing up to be with her in the ways yeah. that she deserved and allowing her to see um, what her pain means, like how, how to be at peace with it and how to have compassion for it and how to have long suffering relationship to ability. It really started poking up, you know, my own history with pain and yeah. um, how I was raised to think about my own disability. And, um, and it is, that has been my sandwich probably yeah. most dramatically lately. Yes. So being with your kid, like in the exact here and now, like showing up with like, I'm here and I'm not flooded by thinking about your future, what's about to happen next. And I'm not flooded by thinking about my past and how that's, you know, impacting this exact moment. I mean, how do you, how do parents get to that place of being able to, stand in all of those places without preferencing one Mm -hmm. too much to the point where it really starts to cloud the, you know, the reality of the present moment. One, I think we got to have people in our lives who love us so much that they're willing to interrupt a pattern. Yes. When they see a forming of one that's based in a lack of awareness, Yes, you know, that we have given people, access to us who can say, is it possible that, or are you feeling? And so, curiosity <laughs> um, questions, curiosity questions. I'm wondering for, for, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think also that it, you know, as much as possible, not, not waiting for something to be activated, you know, also making peace with the fact that it is impossible to not eventually be surprised by things that come up, yes. you know, in our relationships, parenting included. However, it, it doesn't have to be that we wait only for surprises, right? That if we are actively engaging in reflective practices, you know, for ourselves, then we're creating space and room to see things differently um, as they evolve in, in our yeah. kids. And, you know, you know, for me, that's often writing. Yes. Um, it's going to therapy. It's talking to friends and family, and um, and 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 talking in like really meaningful ways. You know, mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, um, I need for this conversation today to not be only playfulness. I need to preview to you that there's something coming up for me, yeah. and I need you to not let me end our chat without this vulnerability that." that I'm probably going to want to try and avoid as we go on. Yes. Um, and so just w- whatever that means for you, whatever your reflective practices. And and the other thing is. Okay. But I have to pause. I hope you can yeah. s- remember what you are about to say next with the, the other thing, because 
your language just now of whatever your reflective practice is and really paying attention to that word reflective and then bringing us right back to where we started, which is, you know, that part of where we're getting reflection from is other people. And that's true for us as adults. And part of where we can get reflection from is other sorts of, you know, expressive experiences in through, you know, your writing and through, you know, all the gorgeous work you do in, in the sand. And, you know, for me, I've really started to own the fact that the way I come to, to you know, a reflective practice to, for me, coming to know myself, mm-hmm. I've been doing through the way I've been engaging more in movement and, you know, doing what looks like a boot camp workout, which doesn't, I would never have normally put in the category of that's a reflective practice. Holy smokes. How could it not be right? Like I, as I like pound the ground or you know, with my feet or, you know, stretch my arms with how much I think it can lift that coming into contact, literally having a reflective experience with myself. Right. And there was something about the way that you just said that whatever your reflective practices is where I like went, Whoa, like reflection. There's that word reflection again and how big it can be, like how big it can be. Like what we talked about before I hit record with those books, you know, and how, you know, my mind exploded when I read that book, Joyful, right? It's like, oh, wait, I'm reading a book about myself. And isn't that amazing? I, I love hearing you talk about the, the way that reading lights you up. And then even in an, even the way that you connect to movement, because you're giving your body space to experiment. Yes. And I think anytime we embrace experimentation and risk we are if we're doing it safely we're encountering reflection reflection you know because you you can't really be reflective without a little bit of risk right you don't know what you're going to find oh that was perfect you can't really be reflective without a little bit of risk because you don't know what's going to happen next you don't know what you're going to find yeah yeah I, I mean, I've known for a long, you're braver than me. Like this is a dynamic. I think we have different ways in which we play around with our personal boundaries. That's probably fair. (laughs) Sure. We can laugh about that, but it's true. You're, we have different spaces where it's safe to be brave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was watching a video of you that you had on Facebook um, you know, where you like look like you're about to die as you're falling out of fabric <laughs> directly towards the earth. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> and I called Heather and I called my wife over and I, I was like, what her do? <laughs> look, she is head first headed. And, and then Heather said, you jumped out of an airplane. Like, yeah, why yeah. is it that you see that when yes. she's <laughs> Right. (laughs) Right. That's exactly what I just said. Like we're both brave. We just do it in super different ways. We do. 
Yeah, I think We've, I think you've you've done a good job though of yeah. making it an intentional part of your life. Like it, it's really become. Um, I think I think you're making space to find yourself. Yeah, I feel like I got to a point where I had I had no other choice, which is never true. There's always a choice. But that was my felt sense. Like I got to the point in my life that I realized I I have I I have two choices, and one of them bodes well for me, and one of them doesn't. So <laughs> one of boding well requires that I do start to be more intentional and deliberate about these different kinds of risks. And it for me, it's not a safety risk. There's no safe. There's no safety risk in what you're watching on those silks. There really isn't. I wouldn't do it. I'm very safety risk averse. <laughs> the risk is different. That blows my mind. Yeah. That yeah. I also trust you with that. Yeah. With and and I don't you said earlier when when this subject came up about um kind of having an awareness of where past meets future and yes. all of them, the moment that something came to mind for you too. Yes. So for me, it's been about, um, you know, as, as our son, our son is engaging in a, a traditional schooling in a way he never has. We've always chosen, you know, different kinds of approaches to schooling and alternative education. And part of alternative education has meant little traditional feedback, no grades, no testing, um, no, none of those sorts of structures set in place that are encouraging quote unquote motivation. And as our kid is now experimenting with more traditional education, and then the reality of like, what has some of his kind of career goals are mean probably continued traditional education past secondary schooling. Right. Um, my husband and I have had to stay work hard to stay really grounded in what our very deliberate educational values are and how they conflict with how we were raised and how, when we watch our son do like, let's just, let's just be honest here. Like the bare minimum (laughs) to be okay. Whatever. Okay. Means in that setting. It, it hits us both so hard. Like, how is this okay? How can we allow this? We don't do the bare minimum just to get by. Like, where's your integrity? Where's right. And soothing that, like really having to be brave with ourselves, soothing all of that flare up, reminding ourselves, like, those are actually not our values. (laughs) Like for some reason, they're just, you know, coming to the forefront right now. And um, acknowledging why, like acknowledging what the risks were for us for not overachieving. And then being really clear that like our son doesn't have those risks, yeah, right? Like his identity doesn't implode if he doesn't have a moment of overachieving and the gratitude in that, the gra- mm. like the gratitude in that and then the grief in it. Yeah. Gratitude and grief. Yeah. Yeah. The gratitude yeah. for him and the grief, you know, for us. Yeah. Um, it, it it reminds me of that thing that gets said in psychology all the time, that correlation doesn't equal causality. Mm-hmm. That I think so many 
that that's one of our constant battles as parents is to not be monitoring what we think is the inevitable development of a character trait by believing we came to a character trait because of how we were treated or how we did life or something like that. You know, we, if a lot of times we came to develop certain traits in spite of Mm -hmm. not because of, and we, we just, we don't fully see all of that. And so we start trying to recreate certain patterns, maybe even unintentionally that were um, from our background that we think might've led us to a certain opportunity. Yes. Uh, And we're like, now I must recreate this path for you. Right. Otherwise you will never get off my couch. Right. (laughs) Well, also remembering in this particular instance, like, no, the human brain is actually designed to offer up the least caloric output possible to be okay. Like, You know, like we are actual, like that's actually an indication of health and wellness. And that is so contradictory to personal values, cultural values, societal values, but it is actually how we work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you also (laughs) just described my relationship to YouTube. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to bring us back to when I interrupted you. That, you oh, said, that's where I was going. Excellent. You should have known. You said where um you said what I made I wrote it down so I would remember. Mm-hmm. I where I was about to say a little bit ago was at the same time leaving space for gratitude without toxic positivity. Yeah. And, and that has been one of the things that I've become a little concerned about in recent years in the way that people are being taught to be reflective. Uh It's like only gratitude is an option, but it's, it's what you said. Like we have to be able to reflect on where we come from with equal capacity for gratitude and grief. This is fascinating because I was thinking about this, this practically this exact conversation I was running this morning and um, I'll lob this out there and then we'll work towards wrapping up while also promising everybody who's listening that we'll do this again, (laughs) that gratitude for me is never the, the, what I lead with. And I never lead that way with people I work with. Um, I don't know if that's a, my own bias or the or the, tr- the reality that I tend to work with people who are really, really struggling and really hurting mm-hmm. that sort of want to throat punch you when you start talking about gratitude. And of course they do, right? Gratitude emerges. Like it's one of those things that we can just believe will happen. We don't have to go looking for it or we don't have to be. Yeah. And for people who have found it to be helpful to have a very deliberate gratitude practice. There's also, there's, I'm not saying there's absolutely anything wrong with that. I just know that I know so many people who, like I said, would want to throat punch you if you just suggested a gratitude practice. (laughs) And so like soothing ourselves that like, no, the gratitude just emerges all of a sudden it's like, Oh, look, there it is. Yeah. And when it emerges, if, if you can just have some way, to hold on to it. Yeah. You're not without 
yes. forcing yourself to only see it. You know, that, yes. that's the yes. relationship. Yes. Being able to to hold something securely and loosely at the same time is really confusing. Uh-huh. Uh, but that, I think that's, that is so key to being reflective. Yeah. What we were talking about before we started recording and uh, was I'm, I'm just constantly trying to work that out in relationship to my own physical pain. Yes. That it, I don't want it to be here. It limits so much of my life and it, it cost me a lot. And there's just no denying that it has created this increased ability for me to hold pain in others, you know, for me to, it has enhanced my ability to see beauty when it shows up. Um, And I'm, I'm, I'm really better able to celebrate the moments where I feel healthy and strong because I know what pain feels like that. that I, I can't get away from having to make space for it to be complicated um, and for that complication to be packaged in a way where I can reflect on it without uh, ruminating, you know, that, that, that's just really hard. Hard. I know. And we both start laughing like, uh-huh, cause we're real good at that. We are getting better. These conversations are, are part of that, you know, when, when you and I, all of our years of friendship, you know, if regardless of whether or not we're talking about this in front of people or privately, I I leave our conversations better equipped to to meet my wife, to yes. um, be with the kids, and yes. because that all of these things had permission to be there. I completely agree. And I was just thinking about that, like in real time, like what's going to happen next in my day. And how it is going to be better. And not just be, you know, like how those interactions are going to unfold in a more like authentic way. Cause I'm going to show up in a different way mm. because we had this time together this morning, which obviously means we need to be together more often, which yeah. I guess goes without saying. <laughs> I, I'm for it. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so grateful for you. Oh my gosh. Me too. Me too. It's hard to imagine a time in my like adult life where we weren't friends and that there was a lot. Yeah. And it is truly hard to imagine that that was true. So yeah, we, yeah. we somehow knew each other before we knew each other. And then it was just familiar from the beginning. You are absolutely right. I love thinking about it that way. We knew each other before we knew each other. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for this time this morning and for letting me hit record um, because I love to give people a little peek into just being with us. Um, we have so much fun and and like to offer that up to other people. And like I said earlier, I mean, when I started this podcast, you were somebody I knew would be absolutely irregular. I can't believe it's even taken us this long, but We'll just go back to that whole pandemic projects that's been happening. Um, and so y'all that are listening, just believe me when I say this is going to be regular. We're all going to be coming together and putting more episodes out there together for sure. Thanks, Marshall. Thanks, friend. Bye.
I told you that interview would be amazing. I giggled when I re-listened to the squirmy step aside part. And I also took down a note when I heard this part about how I used to delight in being completely and fully me in the world and being okay with what happened next, as well as pondering the truth that we really can't be self-reflective without taking a little bit of risk. I think I'm going to write that down on a post-it note and stick it on my fridge. Thank you for connecting with me and caring about kids impacted by trauma. If you're new here, you are just in time for a free live masterclass on finally understanding what behaviors really are and a little insight into how to fix them. This masterclass will be offered live on May 10 and 11, and you can snag your seat or just register to receive the recording at robingobel.com slash what behaviors are. If you're hearing this episode sometime after May 10 and 11, I'll be getting that recording up at robingobel.com slash masterclass. So head there instead. If you are ready for a deep dive into exploring what those behaviors really are, so past a 45-minute free masterclass, and how to truly apply the concepts of regulation, connection, and felt safety into your family, even with kids with those toughest behaviors, check out my comprehensive deep dive parenting course. It has nine modules, over six hours of video lessons, and over 50 pages of worksheets. Parenting after trauma, minding the heart and brain at robingobel.com slash parent course. Please take a moment to share this podcast with your colleagues, friends, grandparents, teachers, everyone. The sooner the whole world understands the neurobiology of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, the sooner our kids will live in a world that sees them for who they really are. Completely amazing, sometimes, or maybe a lot of times, struggling. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, Yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically, so go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory 
so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.